destroying the entire universe. Radio Free Demos, an Ixundraconis fan podcast beaming itself to Mars from shiny, it's new to us, Voltaire Station in a post-Demos orbit along the Mars to Venus hyperspace bypass. This episode's breathable air is provided by Quinevere with three V's bottled happiness. It's like therapy by the spoonful. Probably. We don't have a comparison point. You can drink it like a milkshake. Ooh. This is Radio Free Demos, episode 38, Too Many Options. So, it's been a few weeks. A big chunk of the month was spent evacuating from Asaph Hall, which is sadly now gravel and bits of shrapnel scattered among Mars's Planimborium region. I hope y'all didn't have any projects planned there. Actually, it's a great storage place for my gravel collection. That's true, that's true. And he kind of blends in with the red. I spent most of the rest of the month negotiating transport for the Kafka 6 Literary Penal Colony. And my old grotto is now happily colonized on levels 2, 3, and 4 of the station. It's, it's just like being at home for me. And then a lot of time apologizing to my co-hosts. Uh, so speaking of co-hosts, uh, also at the microphone are Ashtar and Wines. Hello. Hi. Arf. <laughs> Do foxes bark? Yes. Oh, I think so. Okay. So have you picked out your new rooms yet? Mm-hmm. Care to elaborate? <laughs> no. <laughs> Then you know where it is. <laughs> oh. Well, I had the Apex Observatory, but I've been summarily objected by a cadre of literary gang-type members. So uh, we'll see. I'm currently operating out of the supply closet. I think they were going to put a, uh, a coffee shop up there. It's very important. It's like a religious thing. They said the light was best for reading there. Oh, there's there's no light anywhere. <laughs> we're, we're drifting. Huh, okay. I found what I think used to be an old document supply cabinet. I'm really thrilled. It smells like 400-year-old mold and paper. <laughs> really triggers my allergies, but that's okay. <laughs> well, it, it may be Stockholm Syndrome, but fond memories of back in Eastway Station, the agricultural station, one of the least fun things to do was clean the rendering room. Ah. But on the bright side, you get to get anything, keep anything you find. Uh. So th th there's a, what used to be a supply closet that was later converted by Pulse into a meat on a stick vending booth. That's which, not my room. Which is converted back into a supply closet. Now, I'm thinking that, that this station needs a rendering room. Here? Yeah. I mean, we're going to get meat at some point. We're not just going to eat soy. I, huh. And I have it on good authority that eating meat is a moral thing to do. Okay. Well, we may need to reassign level 3.5 to an agri agricultural level. Or reassign the status of some of those prisoners. They're not prisoners. They're, they're my colleagues. You know, Call it what you will. <laughs> once you've been forced to, to lick one of these rooms clean three or four times, you start to enjoy it. <laughs> okay. So, um... On this episode, we're going to be talking about two clusters of skills that have been kind of causing us some trip up during the weekend campaigns. Uh, the social skills, coercion, intimidate, maybe deception, and then express and inspire and maybe command. Boy, 
talking anything that big height for so long a time. Yeah. I wonder what their next move will be. So I guess we'll jump to what's new from HSD. The, the pole dancing miniature expansion yet? Um, the next miniature expansion is going to involve hair. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, you get some, like, two-foot-long stuff or, you know, that majestic wrapping yourself around the pole sort of curl thing happening. I don't know. Um, I'll take harlot number five. <laughs> Buzz cuts for everyone. Yeah. The link that Pierce Fraser posted to the Tumblr actually goes to his the workflow document we were looking at from the channel, the Discord channel a couple of months ago. And that kind of takes away some of the mystery of the whole what's new concept a bit. But there's some new material. He posted images on the HSD Twitter of uh, model cards from the new Allegiance card game, which is, I think, in playtest, according to the chart. Cool. It's a, a strategic card game. We've got, I don't have any of the rules. I think they're in playtest. They might have been shared on the Discord channel, but unfortunately, I've been just massively out of touch during this last convention season. So we've got images of 5, 10, 15, 20 or so cards. Uh, looking at them, I'm seeing some things that strongly resemble resources. You've got troops and intel and population, which in HSD is the same as money. <laughs> some technology and enhancements in the forms of the asset cards, event cards. I don't really know what else there is. There's something that looks like a flowchart or an electronic circuit or some such called Allegiance. Maybe there's some geometry that plays into the game somehow. So a whole lot of we don't know. But some good art. Mixture of new stuff and uh, old stuff from First Ed. It's always good to get art on the cards. <laughs> um, silhouettes of mercenaries, that sort of thing. I don't know if there's going to be a crowdfunding campaign for this one or not, or if it's going to go straight to production. Who's to say? More news when we rejoin civilization. We've received messages from their spaceships. For a while, it came in as just a lot of jumbled noise. So this episode, we're going to focus on, again, some kind of problematic skill clusters. In particular, I'm looking at really the entire class of social skills in Draconis 1.0. In 2.0, they've been compressed into one or possibly two skills, and that is communication, which is probably what it sounds like, and protocol, which I think is rank, social, strata, Manners. Okay. At, at, so, so more than just knowing what protocol is, but ha having some in, ancillary benefits too. It's probably a combination of space etiquette and corporate lore. Okay. That was actually one that I stole and pulled back into the 1.0 game that I'm running uh, with the focus on bureaucratic and corporate law and other such. It also kind of fills the realm of pop culture in... Since the line between corporation and culture is, is so very blurry. So a, a useful skill with a society that's used to navigating through these horrible labyrinths. Did anyone take it in our game? Yes. The, was the, it the... Uh, the accountant. The accountant. Okay. That mm -hmm. makes sense. Yeah. Well, he's kind of the business manager of the group. Right. But 1.0 is so skill tight and our game is so skill tight <laughs> that uh, we haven't really invested in too many alt skills yet. Mm -hmm. Hey, y'all just picked up neuroplexes. It's not my fault you're scared to use them. Terrified of them. <laughs> They're surrounded by, like, whisper fragments. Just because they have red crystals on them? Why would you worry about that? Just shove that into your eye socket. Yeah. You already got one. 
So just going over some of these skills, uh, it's a pretty short list, but let's kind of take a look at them one by one, um, because I know how my co-hosts love lists. Mm. <laughs> so papery. We'll start with coercion. Uh, this is a spyglass specialty skill. And according to the description, it's forcing others to bend to your will through mental trickery, threats, fear, under the guise of friendship, convincing someone to do something that they would usually know better than that. Uh, pressing people's buttons, threats and promises. This is emotional manipulation. Part of it is knowing people's breaking limits and not stepping over them, or stepping over them, depending. Uh, some roles for this skill they call out is using your reputation to buy a favor, community strength plus coercion. Although using your reputation to buy immunity to persecution is security. So there's a lot of uh, hazy around the edges. Intimidate, which is very similar to coercion, and this has been causing us a lot of kind of stopping places in the game. Which I feel every role-playing system has an intimidate, so it, so it sounds familiar. Right, right. And I, I feel like coercion is a, in, in the dictionary, is a synonym for intimidate, uh-huh. but... It's tradition that every system have intimidate, just as it's tradition that any intimidate skill used during a skill check instantly fails the skill <laughs> check. It's always a bad idea. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's so true. Uh, force of it, it intimidates right alongside playing a null character and opening your mouth. <laughs> just, just don't. <laughs> right, right. You know, a lot of deviant art disagrees with uh, you there. Uh, intimidate is forcing your opposition to imply, to imply, <laughs> <laughs> forcing your opposition to comply by means of physical action paired with threat, though it is not necessarily threat of immediate bodily harm. You can threaten hostages. You can suggest to somebody that they might be threatened at some point in the near distant future. You threaten a karaoke performance? You, I, I, I don't know. Uh, that might be coercion. Deception, well, you can uh, get lies to work with you too to steer someone's action, which seems to overlap with deception somewhat. Body language to leverage fear, get people back down. And high levels, you can inspire people to fear what they uh, don't even see. So... The hazy realm of is it physical, is it current, present threats, or is it implied conceptual threats is very hazy there. It feels like intimidation dips into the brainwashing and um, hazing and kind of mental reprogramming and breakdown type stuff at its deeper ends. Mm -hmm. Uh, Deception, pulling the wool over someone's eyes, outright lying, disguise... Unlike coercion, not necessarily trying to get someone to do something by deceiving them, but getting them to change their beliefs or believe something. Lying, telling convincing stories. Some roles for deception involve blending into, blending into a community, uh, lying your way to the back of the bar you were shut out of, that sort of thing. So that seems to be like a natural trilogy of like forcing someone to do the thing for you uh-huh. or influencing their actions in some kind of deceptive get your way sort of way. And within here, I think intimidate and coercion were kind of the biggest problem children that we had. Right. At least at my table, the intimidate coercion is the only one that has actually sparked a retroactive uh, skill change. But it occurs to me that nobody in our game ever has used deception. I mean, maybe once. No, there was, in fact, just as you're reading that, remember our our, our weasel? Remember when I, I sent him in to try to get something to be done. <laughs> and he just came up with the stupidest lie he could possibly think of. Oh. I can't remember what it was. All I can remember, as the Julie Brown song says, I can't remember 
It was just so stupid. <laughs> uh, was that? I was sending him to talk to the, talk to the IRPF, I think. And he was, I don't know where he was getting the nonsense he was coming up with. Just very improvised. I, I, was, yes. I was asking him to lie, not, not to. Was that the one where he reported the IRPF patrol vehicle stolen? No, no, this is more recent. From, From the IRPF patrol vehicle? That, that, that was a good start. <laughs> yeah, I, I think his character thinks that he's better at, <laughs> at lying than he actually is. <laughs> he, he just sees up a little bit, he tries. Or maybe he's just most effective on himself. So between the coercion and the intimidate, the way that I've always approached the two after reading the 1.0 was coercion really was more of the long con skill. This is something that's set up and you're, you're achieving a certain number of successes or you're working on over time, whereas intimidate was a lot more of the in the moment, say the kneecapper skill. And of the two, I see intimidate being, if not, if not combat effective, then just prior to combat effective in the in the standoff in the moment that that's the skill that becomes effective whereas at least by the reading i never really saw coercion as being something that you can just drop in on an episode with no real prior planning or setup and once once that was kind of teased out and the table understood that those were the two definitions that th those were the two ways that i was reading the rules mm -hmm. uh, there was definitely some Reevaluating as to where skills were and which one is more character right. specific. Right. Yeah, because yeah, my initial reading was that coercion was a kinder, gentler intimidate. Um, and so I was attracted to that and put a bunch of points in that. And I was just frustrated that it never seemed to be the right right skill for the moment. Now, does, I'm not challenging you, but does the actual rules say that the, the coercion is a long game and intimidation is a short game? Or is that is that your interpretation? I think that's my interpretation okay. more off the examples that were given and the cab descriptions put under okay. the two different headers. Which, you know, is, is totally fine just so that we're, you know, clear as to what's the way we're doing it. Uh, coercion is emotional manipulation, mental trickery. It's kind of a coyote skill. Uh -huh. I, I feel like the idea of the long con is a better way of separating it from deception, which is more like stealth in a crowd or just quick lies, like a, a one-shot bluff check, maybe. Um, intimidation is... Yeah, now, now, there's a good question. If you have an extended con, what distinguishes an, an extended con that is coercion from an extended con that is deception? You know, I don't, I, I don't know. This is, this is, the system doesn't really have a, a long skill check mechanic built in yet. Right. Well, but just... Conceptually, I mean, what would characterize one and what would characterize the other? Conceptually, I would, I mean, this is reaching slightly into kind of the stats, um, but conceptually, I would see that as coercion is more of an active skill. Your character is doing something, your character is setting something into motion, your uh -huh. character is um, exerting influence upon the world, whereas deception is less active, less less building almost more reactive like you're in a situation where you just need to lie you're in a situation that you just need to distract um it's like social stealth yeah social stealth uh sleight of mind as it were so, so it's so it sounds like a fair amount of time if if you want to lie to people that's coercion and not deception if you want to lie to people on a small scale well 
That's an interesting question because a, you, you could argue that a lot of what, say, the shadow presidents or the or higher level board would do would be deception and not coercion. When you're specifically talking about lying or making someone believe something an untruth, basically changing the perception of reality, I would call that deception pretty much all the time. Uh-huh. Coercion would be leaning on someone to do something, to do something or not do something, but not necessarily change how they believe or how they perceive the world. You're just changing how they respond to it. And most of the roles for coercion and intimidation are very social in nature. Uh, they say uh, intimidation role would be like body strength plus intimidation to physically intimidate someone, whereas mental strength plus intimidation to mentally intimidate someone, which is kind of a tautology to my mind. But uh, deception has physical dexterity plus deception for sleight of hand for physically hiding something. So what is physical strength plus coercion? What does that look like? Intimidation. Pulse. <laughs> All of pulse. I think one of the ways that I wouldn't say that one of the ways I would describe it is I think it's very scenario or scene driven. Uh-huh. If you're in a bar and stuff's about to go down, uh-huh. maybe deception would work. You can start smoothing things, misdirecting, redirecting, maybe intimidate would work, get them to back off. I don't necessarily know that coercion would have a place for kind of on the brink of violence type situations. Deception does have a strong, like, veiling, concealing, hiding thing going on, all the roles they mention, whereas coercion is more about getting your way and shaping someone's ideas. But Uh if you flip over to, say, a corporate boardroom, deception still plays a huge part. You can get people (sighs) to believe things that are not true. Although deception also is the art of getting someone to believe something. Or you could go through coercion because you're applying more of a soft power or more of a long-range political-type power. Uh Um, But I would say in in a higher-level corporate boardroom, intimidation wouldn't have much of a role. People people at that level just don't get intimidated very easily. Uh So one one reason for the multiplicity of skills in Ixodraconis is because it's a way of distinguishing the corporations. And yet... Yet all three of these skills, coercion, intimidation, and deception, are all unique to Spyglass, which is the most social of the corporations in terms of what skills it has access to. Mm -hmm. So all this does is say that fully half of their skill set is devoted to misdirecting people in physical and social spheres. Uh That's what they're good at. And that gives them a very wide range of skills to specialize in and a wide range to kind of exert that social influence. Unfortunately, they're all such delicate shades of each other that, I mean, we're having a hard time establishing. The, the, the definitions we've been floating here are, I think they only exist inside of our heads. Right. Even the descriptions overlap heavily. Well, I, I can kind of see them being separate, but when you, I mean, as you just pointed out, when those are combined with stats also, which can totally change how you look at a skill, yeah. then it gets really hard. Well, here, let me put it a different way. All right. So what does, what's an example of, what does a character who's really good at intimidation look like? And how is that different from a character who is really good at coercion or a character who's really good at deception? I mean, what, what, what would that describe? Well, I mean, the sly swindler character is going to be specializing in coercion, maybe with a side of subterfuge, deception rather, to escape. Uh-huh. Uh, the character that specializes in intimidation is probably going to be 
Well, he's going to have a lot of power somewhere anyway at his disposal. Real actual power, I hope. Um, like a Viking or an asshole lawyer. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he can threaten your financial stability just uh-huh. as easily as your life. Um, but or a high society diva if we're looking at society intimidate. Okay. So, so is it kind of intimidate is unsubtle and coercion is subtle? I think you could make a strong argument that intimidation tends to be unsubtle, but the idea of like veiled threats and getting you to fear, you know, the darkness inside your own head is also there as well. Uh huh. So it's again, it's hard to tell where that ends. And there's yeah, there's definitely a lot of ways to slice it. Um, yeah. I think that's a good definition as many others, though, if you want to go with more that intimidation is the covert exertion of power, whereas coercion is more of a subtle exertion of power, a hidden exertion of power. If if a large number of people know about the coercion, it may not be as effective, whereas people may very well see the intimidation going on, but that power is overt, and it's still effective for being so. Okay. Well, let's take a, a really complex social situation. Uh, someone is being gaslighted, or you've got a... What does that mean? Gaslighting is when you cause someone to doubt their own reality. Okay. Like, or, not like in Ready Player One, when they're tricking the, the bad guy into thinking he's back in his... His office and he's not sure if that's that's a bit of a like blatant example. Um, that, that, that's the ready player one level subtlety, which is not subtle. <laughs> well, I think there was a there was a horror movie like Cape Fear or something like that, where someone was being set up to believe that like they were they were being caused to doubt the reality of their senses by mm-hmm. this person with a complex campaign of like subtle threats and misdirection and things like that. It's just creating this reality breakdown for the person that's on the victim end. Okay. Um, But it it involves a lot of different skills and moments, or you have someone that your cult is keeping prisoner and trying to make them believe that the cult is their friend. Okay. Um, That's a mixture of intimidation and outright lying and long-term manipulation and things like that. So these are really complex ideas, and it all kind of bleeds into each other at the edges. I mean, normally I'd say these would let a character be whatever, that these would be there to let your character express kind of whatever idea they were built to do. But since they're both all held by the same corporation, I'm not really, like, making my sense here that I want huh. to. I'm failing my express role. Uh-huh. But since they're all held by the same corporation, I think that doesn't really hold water as well. Okay. And there's also the problem that... It's easier to go wide than it is to go deep. You could put a couple of points, you could put a point into each of these and be fairly effective at any situation as opposed to trying to really focus down on one and getting completely caught up when the GM has a different interpretation. Uh-huh. Which is, I mean, that, that, that's true to this game system in general. There are so many stats that kind of, if you really nail one stat, it's not going to be the right one a fair amount of the time or, Which, or, or anyone's skill. And that's just the way it's going to be. And just accept it. Yeah. I really wouldn't want to play this game with a game master. that was in favor of very hard interpretations. That would just be not fun. Uh-huh. Um, moving on to the second kind of triad of related skills. These are, I think a little bit friendlier overall. Uh, these are the skills kind of of rhetoric and poetry and barding and leadership. Not horse armor. Sorry, ignore me. Right. Okay, I- ignored. Um, <laughs> we've got uh, 
express, which is conveying information or need. So this is kind of begging or honest, honest communication of your intent sort of thing. Teaching, maybe expressing ideas or topics, uh, phrasing things so that people can understand them, uh, speaking with eloquence and emotion. Body presence plus express is to provoke an empathetic reaction. Mind presence plus express is to get back into the bar that you were thrown out of uh, with an apology, a sincere apology, like you really mean it. Uh, getting tickets to a booked concert might be uh, community plus express. Inspire, which is kind of similar, is uh, leading by example or driving people to give more of themselves. It's turning the battle in your favor. It's riling up the troops. It's oratory, I guess, falls into here. And it's got a really short skill description. It's like five lines long compared to most of the rest of the skills, which go on for two or three paragraphs. It's just the art of rallying the troops as written. It also kind of lets you know what might keep the crowd down so you can kind of unhinge a riot or something like that if you have, if you want to press the right buttons. But it's all about driving people to action hmm. and, and, and kind of specifically in that. So it's one of the more clearly assigned, defined social skills we have in the list. And then command is kind of a third part of this. It's uh, exerting authority over others, sharp and direct, and forcing large groups. It's a combat skill more than anything else. I don't think it really has any other uses. It just lets you take control of the situation and shove it hard in a direction. So not very subtle. So all of these are kind of the drive people in a visible and obvious way towards an action. And I feel like they're a little more, I wouldn't say benevolent because you've got the omnipresent example of Hitler to play against. But they're, they seem more honest overall, um, more visible, more crowd-directed. Mm -hmm. I didn't have as much of a problem with this triad because I really associated these with the diplomat, the politician, and the general. Mm -hmm. And that seemed to map very well for me as to how you exert that kind of social power. Yeah, I can see that. I love playing bard characters, though, so I was kind of looking at Express and Inspire and trying to figure out where to put those points. Because if you're on stage uh, being a person that's mostly express, but um, like oratory and the rhetoric of, of the play Julius Caesar, that's all inspire. And these, there aren't that many points in first ed. You're kind of point strapped from the beginning. So having these two skills that do very similar things with a very slight flavor is, is difficult for me, specifically in the realm of character creation. And you don't really need both of them. I think they do, they do kind of the same thing. I, I have a theory about inspire which is that it's a vestige of a skill mechanic that doesn't exist anymore in First Ed. Like maybe it was elided during playtest. It seems to fill the role of the medicine skill for the nerve stat. I haven't checked this out with, with Sev yet, and I probably won't because I want to think that I'm right, and he'll <laughs> probably tell me that I'm wrong. But it feels like maybe when it was originally conceived, the, the nerve pool, which is morale, had bigger teeth and could be used against PCs as well as against antagonists. And the inspire skill lets you kind of heal your nerve pools So your morale doesn't break. Mm -hmm. And that's why it's got such a short description. Command also is a fairly short description because it's mechanics were reinforced by a rule section that no longer is there. It's a theory. I think it's, I think it's got some validity because there's not really a way to rebuild nerve, but I think there's one or two implications in the rules that there is. So, that that's that's my my uh my current thought okay 
can't prove it. And command, which is this all-purpose leadership skill, really is only expressed in terms of combat as well, which kind of makes me sad because it's it's the general skill, but its use is really restricted to just just combat. There's not that many callouts for it otherwise. Oh, I think we we've used it outside of combat, right? Within the hierarchy of IRPF, you have okay, and there's really only there's really only a few places that I see command as being that effective, and that is. Um, Within one of the paramilitary gray ops squads that exist, uh-huh. so very much in the corporate military structure, or in IRPF, which embraces a lot more of that hierarchical command. Okay, so, I, I feel like it's come up in in some skill challenges where, for the captain who's saying, "You do this, you do this, you do this." I, I feel like I've been called upon to make a command role, but I could be wrong. Actually, I think there is a place where its non-combat use is there, and that is doing complex repairs on a really big starship. Is I think it's half, it's half repair and half command. Okay. You have to delegation. Push, yeah, delegation. Okay. But did, did we use it that way, or am I just imagining? No, I think I've keeping in mind that the captain does have an IRPF background and approaches certain tasks from a delegation slash barking orders standpoint slash blunt hammer yes um i believe i have had i have used command to help assist the group um lead from the front type way okay okay maybe that could be seen as inspire but i just don't see the captain being that well spoken (laughs) very well spoken what are you saying (laughs) Express as the bard skill has some of the more artistic applications to it. It's used in dance, in acting, in theater, as well as teaching. So maybe that's also kind of applied to some of the more crafty, painty stuff. I, I honestly don't know, but like body dexterity plus express or something like that to paint a fine picture. Mm-hmm. The Again, the craft rules in the sense of making fine art are never really fleshed out in this system. Art is so 20th century. <laughs> I suspect it's a bit intentionally vague, but it's also a place where you could start pulling in multiple skill checks. And I mean, something like that really should not just have a hard failure endpoint. It really should just be degrees of success. And so maybe pulling a craft and an express or something along those lines, maybe a craft and express or an operate express reduces the overall just pass fail binary choice which you don't really want for artistic type stuff or for example it's very unlikely that the success of a mission hinges upon how well your artist paints a painting yeah you can rarely really make calligraphy part of a end game negotiation and that kind of crapple is a place where people will dump tons of like brown bagging and shopping and fritting away hours working on this tiny little perfect application of the rules. So in a get the PCs moving, keep the campaign moving, then getting rid of some of those rules is not the worst thing in the world to do. One thing I noticed playing 2.0 is there's a few places where there's a mechanic that only works in combat and only works out of combat. I don't remember the name of the skills, but they had like the readiness pool that works specifically with combat and specifically without outside of combat. And here you've got the inspire and or command skills that really only work in combat, maybe. And then the skills that work kind of outside of combat. I wonder if that's just sort of a natural binary for uh, Sev. Maybe. Gives you a place to spend points for sure. So this is a uh, workaround that I'm not going to propose for our game because... 
because I don't want to put Ashtar on the spot like that. But I think this might be a good way of making sense of these two skills is to kind of reduce them down to just just manipulation and just express or something along those lines or the bard skill, whatever it is. A lot of the fine tuning and fine kind of variety of these things could be simulated by applying the right stat to it or the right stat pair. Mm -hmm. So if you looked at the various like flavors of intimidation and forcing someone and kind of tied them to the main categories of stats, you might have intimidation be purely physical. That's where uh, flexing your muscles and frightening someone goes. And did someone giggle? <laughs> there may I, have been snickering. I, I'm, I'm just imagining, you know, I've got to intimidate this guy. Time to start flexing. Has this ever happened in the real world? I, I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> well, I mean, it's it's not overt throw your arm up and flex like a uh, power lifter. Okay. But they're squaring to the shoulders. They're straightening to the back. They're, sure. There's kind of a picking, physical presence. And picking a, your teeth with a great sword. <laughs> general badassery as opposed to silly weightlifter stuff. Okay. Okay. Got it. <laughs> fold, fold a lot of the mental trickery and deception under, under uh, mind and the more social stuff uh, under community, predictably. You could even like build an economy to do like Ponzi schemes and shell games and things like that which I think it's already kind of suggested there anyway. And that would add a lot of depth to this manipulation skill that would let it be only one skill. Maybe that's too much power for that one skill, but you also have... Characters can specialize, even if it's not directly reflected on their sheets. That's kind of a part of having a character with a rich background. Right. Then there's the workaround that that, that we did for my character, where, where I had two points in coercion and none in intimidation. And it seemed like nothing was ever what I wanted coercion for, so we simply changed it to one point in each. Therefore, it doesn't matter. They're the same. <laughs> There's actually a couple of missing skills that White Wolf, which is a much more shameless system, uh, mm -hmm. would put into place there. The occasional uh, seduction skill, which turns up in a few of their sleazier games. Okay, sure. Uh, not on the skill list. Um, the... Uh, D&D &D had the, what was the, the comeliness stat, which got so much abuse. Right, right. But the, the kind of the physical attraction type stuff could be folded up under, um, under like physical presence deception or physical presence uh -huh. uh, coercion, that sort of thing, which it, it may already be there, but it's not spelled out specifically because it's lost in the haze of what are you trying to do? I think even like Hero System had that too, that that was a use of your presence. Wait. What are you talking about? I've, I've totally stacked Body Presence Express. <laughs> Don't all foxes? Yeah, yeah, that's fair. <laughs> um, so that in the Supers game that White Wolf put out, uh -huh. combining uh, peanut butter and chocolate here, <laughs> 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 they had mega stats, which you get. I don't know what, what game systems also use that, but you have stats that are like... Well, of course, now I'm thinking of rifts, which is making me roll my eyes, but go right okay, ahead. Well, so I'm really sorry I used the prefix mega in yes. this circumstance because <laughs> it's been destroyed. It no longer means like a thousand. It means shambida. <laughs> Giga stats. <laughs> if you had um, more than three points in a stat, you could start buying these special super stats and they would let you bend steel bars and do things you can't do with like normal human level strength. Okay. The um, the enhanced special super charisma would occasionally give you like really large breasts because it, everything would become comedically over the top if you had 
a lot of mega stats, and I really want to rewind this entire paragraph. It would occasionally, it, so that th- these would vary. I'm sc- I want to rewind everything I said, okay. but because I deserve to be made fun of occasionally, I'm not sure. going to. Descriptions more suited to a romance novel. <laughs> <laughs> well, when you when you took a certain level of these enhanced stats, you'd become inhuman, and when you took ridiculous enhanced charisma appearance, you'd start becoming inhumanly beautiful like a comic character in certain uh-huh. ways. So I could have started by saying it made you inhuman in this manner rather than going directly to breasts, but I went directly to breasts. Okay, well, that's, that's fine. So with the sort of collapsed version of expression, you could have mind for composing things and eloquent speaking and finding flaws in rhetoric or writing a love letter, that sort of kind of more introverted stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, community for more social things like leading teams or inspiring the masses or... Uh, bulk email communication, that sort of thing. And then body could be used for dance and oratory and uh, performance and just looking sad and pathetic and pitiful or subtle communication through body language or that uh, scent marking ability that certain weasels have, that sort of thing. Yeah. Which hyena should have. Well, you tell it to your game master. I have. (laughs) He doesn't doesn't listen, does he? No. (laughs) I listen. (laughs) Listen and circular metal file it. <laughs> <laughs> so the the big problem with collapsing these things is that you'd have this big skill deficiency in terms of the way the numerology works in in HSD 1.0, where every corporation has eight skills. You have to file some stuff down and things like that. But I think overall it might be a more playable approach. There'd be less questions. There'd just be kind of the fighting of whether this attributes pairing could work with this skill or not and how that would play out. But I think that's the inevitable fallout of any rules light system and kind of part of the fun. Kind of. Yeah. Well, and, and like, and actually, like one of the things that you, that you do, which I appreciate, is bring Dr. Pepper. Bring Dr. Pepper. Um, but telling people, well, this could be, okay, you're trying to do this. Well, it could be this skill in this stat or this skill in that stat based on your, your approach. Um, which. Uh, on one hand, it means the odds that you're going to be boned by a particular interpretation are lower since there's two chances to catch on on good stats. But it also encourages people. It's like, hey, think about how you're doing the skill, not just saying I'm using the skill. Well, how? And I think that's very helpful. I appreciate that. Thanks. And yeah, that does speak very much to why the previous suggestion of collapsing the skills doesn't appeal to me too much. Um, but Part of that is kind of house ruley, but kind of high level approach to the skill challenges and the skill checks. Uh, <clears throat> when I'm approaching skill checks or longer term skill challenges, multiple skill checks in a row, I, I think as I kind of implied earlier, I don't want a hard fail state. There are enough hard fail states in combat where if you if you fail, you miss and you've just lost that turn or that battle points or what have you. But that is a very tactical decision that makes sense in combat that I don't think makes as much sense in a social situation. I want uh, soft fail states and I want kind of degrees of success or failure. So I usually do ask for group checks or multi-level checks or checks that roll into other checks that roll into other checks because I don't want one bad dice to kind of spike a social situation. I, I really do want the players to 
maybe come at it a little bit creatively, maybe use some of the skills that you know, try and work in some of the skills that they're good at, uh-huh. um, but not be afraid to use skills that they're bad at just because their character wasn't built that way. Right. From a game master standpoint, I try to ensure that a failed check is not a hard stop or is not too frustrating. And with that in mind, I think a lot of some of the high points of the campaign or some of the more memorable points of the campaign have come from failures in the social checks or places where the social check was kind of pushed when it wasn't maybe the best decision. Yes, you could have used a social deception role here, or yes, you could have passed whatever social situation over to the face of the party to make the social deception role, but you went and took the community deception role yourself, and yeah, that went sideways pretty quickly, but now we're off in a different direction. Not really a fail state, not really the success you wanted, but the story goes on. Right. Which is, you know, really, the, 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 that's kind of the the truth hiding behind all role-playing games is it's not do we save the kingdom or not. It's how do we save the kingdom. It's not like, oh, we played a role-playing game, we lost, start up a new <laughs> campaign. You, you, you don't lose. You, you, you have setbacks. And kind of you're competing over who gets to be the person who is pivotal when it really mattered. Someone's going to do it. It might be you or it might be the, the bard or whatever. So ordinarily, I, I like this kind of mini roads to Jerusalem thing. Mm-hmm. But here, I really don't. In Hero System or Late GURPS or Certain White Wolf, a blast is a blast is a blast. If you're buying multiple blasts to do, like, rock damage or fire damage or whatever, the game system understands on a root level that you can only do that in so many ways, and it's not meaningful. Mm-hmm. You're just stacking up the ability to do 1d8 in different flavors. So... Most point-by systems kind of assume that if you're trying for the effect of make someone die from a range, uh-huh. no matter how many different ways you do it, you get some sort of efficiency or the system acknowledges that it's the same damn thing and you only buy it once or one and a half times. Not always, but I think that is a, a way that some systems trend. And the first block of skills and the second block of skills are all different ways of doing the same damn thing. And I find that really frustrating as a character because I do like playing a well-rounded social character. And you had to spend all these... You could choose to spend all these points on the same basic effect because the Game Master might have decided that Inspire is the skill that represents speechifying, Uh whereas the rules explicitly state that performance falls under Express. Uh Um, So I think that you could go mad trying to buy the points to represent the character that's the well-rounded social animal you wanted to be. And other game systems would compress that into a single skill uh-huh. for, for efficiency, for like sense in the way you purchase things. You mean like science? Science, <laughs> well, and yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a different direction and a different example and, and its own problem. <laughs> it is. But that's also a place where your character could go crazy specializing and you would lose efficiency. So from a like game balance perspective, a gamist perspective, having science be one skill makes sense from a we all know that's not how um, any investigative game works and the real world works. It's 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 problematic. No, I fully agree with you there. Science being one skill makes a lot of sense because despite this being a highly technological and highly scientific world. Nobody wants to sit around a table for an hour discussing the finer points of was this biology versus physics and okay, start making your research roles. You can, 
but that's maybe not the most exciting gameplay. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, you simplify things. You draw with magic marker and not fine pencil. Well, and even then, that's a very player versus environment, player versus world challenge, player versus what is not known challenge. And that's not a moving target. That's that's trying to get through a brick wall. Uh, the brick wall doesn't fight back. It's just there. And you either scale it, you go around it, you go under it, you, you figure out some way through and you'll get there eventually. Just how long do we have to beat our head against the brick wall before we find a way through? But I think, especially on the communication spectrum, that starts becoming a little bit more interesting of a challenge. If you're going up against a rogue uh, faction of the board, or if you're going up against a group of space bikers that just stood up in the bar and wants your space, they're fighting back. Maybe they aren't fighting physically or in combat roles yet, but they're acting, they're reacting, the the nature is changing. And I think those are some of the places where uh, the skills and the skill challenges can be more interesting and can can support a little bit more flexibility. Game masters have all the character points they want. <laughs> this is true. And game masters control the slow drip, drip of experience or oh, Jesus, it is characters that <laughs> we, are, we are talking like subterranean cave stalactite level <laughs> dripping here. <laughs> so we've been playing your game for like two years, Ashtar, and I lost my character sheet and I was trying to figure out if we'd had two character advances or three. <laughs> It makes them all the more precious. It does. It really does. I would say in my defense, but I have no real defense there. (laughs) (laughs) Controlling game advancement is important. Yeah. There comes a time in each man's life when he can't even believe his own eyes. Well, after your description, I don't think I'd want to see it either. Well, from there, we'll move on to what the hosts think is awesome this week, or in this case, this almost two-month hiatus period. Um, Let's see. I don't know how we're going to start this one. Um, Whose birthday is next? August? January. January. Okay, Wines, why don't you go first? Well, actually, the... Mine's in March, so... I think the most fascinating thing I heard recently, I mean, you you know how I'm I'm on about hyenas, but you you forwarded me that tidbit about fossas. Oh, yeah, the fossas. Fossas. We have to maintain our... Understood, understood. (laughs) Adult level. Fossas being a kind of a smaller mountain liony animal from South America, I think. Kind of a brown cat, kind of longer looking. uh, But... And squat. Yeah, squat. A little bit less agile looking than than a mountain lion. But one strange thing they share with hyenas is that their females, when they hit sexual maturity, grow phalluses. But then as they mature further, they slowly go away. And just the weird thing is, well, A, that this happens at all. The sound effects. (laughs) (laughs) And... And no one has any clue why. I mean, some crazy ideas, like maybe it helps protect the young females. No one knows. But it's interesting that they're felids and hyenas are felids. So maybe there's something bopping around in the felid genetic code for big phalluses on females. It's nice to know that hyenas aren't alone and they have these locker room moments. It is. It's, It's really nice to know that. I mean, I was going to go with fossil are cool because they have hands on all four of their legs. But, you know, we can go with this, too. They do? 
More or less. How so? I mean, in, in addition to their paws, they have like on their knees and elbows, they have air. <laughs> no, that they're, they're, if I remember right, their paws are really dexterous on okay. all four. Are, are they arboreal? I mean, I guess a lot of cats are. Possibly. Okay. I, I just remember well, that. Possibly? Possibly. <laughs> I, I just remember something about climbing a pole or a stick and then basically just doing a 180 Without moving their paws at the top and climbing back down backwards or something. Interesting. I'll I'll learn more about that. Interesting critters. They're not much to look at. It looks like just, oh, it's a brown cat. Ignore. When there's so many more pretty cats with spots or stripes or whatever. But I guess they're kind of interesting. They make up for it elsewhere. (laughs) I'll refer you to the Wikipedia article on Fossa for this one. It's got lots of diagrams. (laughs) So over the last month, there's been lots of places where furry has hit the public news and not necessarily in the most positive way. So I'm going to ignore that right now and look about as far away from that as I can. They have, I guess the astronomical nomenclature group has named the features of Charon recently, and I really like them. They've named them after almost the idea of exploration Uh of literary characters, authors, and mythologicals that kind of focus on exploring the unknown, exploring time, in a sort of science fiction fantasy way. And tying this to Charon is really neat because Charon is kind of the really the edge of our solar system in, in some ways, depending on depending on how you define these things. Uh-huh. Uh, some of the major features, I think they, they list like a dozen of them, but there was... Uh, Caloeche Chasm, which was, I blew that name, but it was named after a ghost ship that kind of patrols the shores and picks up the spirits of the dead. Uh, Two mountains or hills named Clark and Kubrick. That's kind of neat. Um, Dorothy Crater. You know, if her house landed there, that'd be pretty amazing. Uh Um, Nemo Crater. And uh, Perks Crater, named after a character by Stanislaw Lem. Uh, so it's, yeah, I think so. And there's also some people from the, not, I'm not, I'm not even going to try the name though, or the, uh, the Bhagavad Gita, some from like one from like the Bhagavad Gita that is a mythological character that explores in this way. And another character that maybe is the first time traveler from another myth. Uh It's kind of neat all over the place mixture of ideas of probing the unknown. Uh Yeah, I thought that was cool. As I mentioned just just in passing, one thing we we watched recently was a a film based on one of Stanislaw Lem's uh, stories, and he writes some really surreal stuff that has to do with virtual reality and drug experiences, and which this movie also does. It's called The Congress, um, and it's about one third li- live action, two thirds done in the style of nineteen thirties animation. And it's really, really strange, and I, I highly recommend it if, if you think interesting things are interesting. Oh, I, I, I do. We'll put the trailer in the uh, show notes. Cool. And then, as is traditional in the uh, intersection between our real-life Iron Man and space exploration, uh, the Musk Report brings you. <laughs> so, in the news a little while back, was uh, Elon Musk was testing out some of his new rockets. Can't really you know, put actual paying cargo on test rockets. Uh, so he decided, hey, he's rich enough. Why not put his own personal Tesla in the rocket as cargo? The rocket test worked. So there is now 
Elon Musk's personal Tesla floating around in space with a spacesuit strapped into the driver's seat. And a love letter. Like, it's got a little heart with him and his, his girlfriend on the side somewhere. Oh. That's true. So first off, we got a couple of really awesome remote selfies <laughs> of spacesuit, car, Earth in the background. But also, if I remember right, the car was gently nudged on a trajectory towards Mars. So who knows? Maybe somewhere in canon there's a bright red <laughs> Tesla floating around in vector space. Somewhat dusty. May need work. <laughs> I mean, Pulse could have some great like territory fights over that one when it <laughs> finally enters their space. <laughs> you know, with that one... What do you call the biological... With that one reclamation, it could be a real Musk report. <laughs> I, Yes. Although it does occur to me that, that in the kind of the... When you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. When you give somebody the ability to leave scent marks on things, all of a sudden they're looking at your entire role-playing game universe as, what could I wipe my butt on? And what butts have been here previously? <laughs> yes. <laughs> on that note... <laughs> Nice to talk to y'all again after this extensive hiatus and catchy outro line. <laughs> Good night. Intro music is Future Club and outro music is Tronicles, both by Serious Beat. This podcast is copyright 2017 by Radio Free Demos and may be used in any not-for-profit project with appropriate credit and notification. Check out our website, RadioFreeDemos.com, that's D-E-I-M-O-S, for more rambling, resources, links to official and fan-driven content, and our full catalog of episodes. And look for us on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. What are we doing? We're fluffing our pillows. <laughs> fluffing our pillows. It's going to... Diego, must you make those noises? Yes, you must. Oh, okay. Background loop.